1: You're listening to the VPM Daily Newscast, the recap of today's top stories in central Virginia.
2: From the VPM Newsroom in Richmond, I'm Benjamin Dolly. State Health Commissioner Colin Green has been the subject of controversy after the Washington Post quoted him downplaying the role of racism in public health. Patrick Larson has more on the local reaction to Green's comments. The Richmond and Henrico Health Districts often highlight policies they hope will make health care access more equitable in the region. Health District Nurse Manager Amy Popovich says they'll keep doing that.
0: I'm speaking for our local values. Uh, I can't speak for other localities and central office, but I can say at Richmond Henrico Health District, we acknowledge that structural and interpersonal racism contributes to health disparities and we will continue to work to address that.
2: Richmond Mayor LeVar Stoney chimed in on social media. He can cond- Condemned Commissioner Green's reference to gun violence as a quote democratic talking point in the Washington Post article. Stony called for the Commissioner to recognize research showing race as a major factor in health outcomes. Patrick Larson, VPM News. The Virginia Department of Health is adjusting COVID-19 exposure guidelines. Federal recommendations say you don't need to quarantine after an exposure if you are fully vaccinated or have had COVID in the past 90 days. Now, state guidelines indicate that if you're exposed to COVID at any point within six months of recovering from a previous bout, you're okay to be in public. The state health agency still recommends quarantining if you develop symptoms or test positive for COVID-19, regardless of your vaccination or prior infection status. Richmond and Henrico's local health authorities are sticking with the stricter federal guidance for now. Governor Glenn Youngkin has proposed an amendment to the state budget that bars the use of taxpayer dollars for abortion-related services. Specifically, it bans Virginians who are eligible for Medicaid from receiving state funding to end pregnancies with a severe fetal diagnosis. Whitney Evans has more.
0: Abortion rights advocates say if lawmakers approve the governor's amendment, Virginians with low incomes will be forced to carry pregnancies fraught with suffering. The state already denies funding to Medicaid-eligible pregnant people who seek an abortion, except in cases of rape, incest, when their life is at risk, and with severe fetal diagnoses. The governor's amendment would remove the fetal diagnosis from that list. With Virginia's narrow political margins in the House and Senate, coupled with the absence of a Senate Democrat who was out of the country this week, advocates worry the amendment could pass both chambers. Lawmakers meet on Friday to finalize the budget. Whitney Evans, VPM News.
2: Donations to fund private school tuition scholarships for low-income students are currently tax-deductible in Virginia. Governor Glenn Youngkin wants to remove a proposed $12 million cap on that state credit program. If he gets his way, the cap would remain as it has been at $25 million a year. Chris Watica is with the Commonwealth Institute for Fiscal Analysis and points out there are already tax incentives for donations. And so if this were to get reformed or scaled back in certain ways, there still would be those kinds of incentives for giving that are in place for other programs that don't have their own tax credits. Data VPM news received from the State Department of Taxation shows that wealthy individuals have received the bulk of these specific tax credits in recent years. The Resilience Adaptation Feasibility Tool helps smaller coastal communities figure out how to boost their flood resilience. Catherine Hafner from Partner Station WHRO spoke with one of those communities about what they learned.
0: Captain John Smith, the famed colonial explorer, supposedly once called Anancock the gem of the eastern shore. One of the draws is its historic wharf, but rising tides now often flood the harbor area. T. Lee Bird is on the town's waterfront committee.
2: What we haven't had it up until this point is a way to keep that water from coming in as fast as it's going out.
0: Anancock is the type of place the resilience tool was designed to help. A small one without the resources for stuff like technical analysis. Joy Marino's on the town council. She says she was somewhat surprised back when the RAF team released its scorecard for the town.
1: It was interesting to see how we scored. I'm not going to tell you because
0: it's embarrassing. But anyway, (laughs) it was like, what are we doing wrong? But Marino says the process helped pull back the curtain on what could be done.
1: It made us aware of what the issues were in our town. Then RAF provided solutions to those issues which we were able to realistically accomplish. Those
0: fixes include modifying the wharf structure and adding duckbill valves to their catch basins.
2: That was Catherine Hafner reporting. Virginia natives Chad Hugo and Pharrell Williams will be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. The two are part of the delayed class of 2020, along with Mariah Carey, Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics, and Steve Miller. The Associated Press reports Hugo and Williams met as young students in the Virginia Beach area quickly bonding over their shared love of music. A songwriter is able to join the Hall of Fame 20 years after their first commercial release. As part of a series for Pride Month, VPM News is looking at the history of gender and sexuality in Native American culture. Virginia Commonwealth University professor Gregory Smithers is the author of the book Reclaiming Two Spirits, Sexuality, Spiritual Renewal, and Sovereignty in Native America. He spoke with VPM News' Alex Scribner, about what the term two-spirit means and the role that two-spirit people have within indigenous communities.
1: Two-spirit, the term two-spirit refers to people with both male and female spirits within a single person. Historically, two-spirit people are among the most important members of kinship communities within Native America. Among the most important, but also among the least studied and understood in Native American history and culture. Two-spirit people were entrusted with very important cultural and historical knowledge within their respective communities. It's not strictly speaking a term that refers to one's sexuality, however it can. So it's a fairly recent term. The late 1980s gay, lesbian, and bisexual Indians were debating the issue of language, what to call themselves and how to gain visibility within gay and lesbian politics at the time. Got to remember at this time, HIV AIDS is a pandemic that is wreaking havoc through communities around the world. So you can be gay, but not necessarily two-spirit. Or you can be two-spirit, but not necessarily gay, right? So So there's that fluidity and that sort of spectrum of of roles and identities that people have historically had within Native communities. Sexuality can be an important part of it, and healthy uh, sexuality along the spectrum of sexual expression is definitely something that two-spirit people talk about today. But historically speaking, um, the the connection between sexuality and gender roles is only something that really begins to become much more closely wedded in, in Native communities, during the 19th century.
0: Being keepers of knowledge, how have two spirits contributed to reclaiming their history? And what about reclaiming their land?
1: Right, it's in the doing of the roles that are historically associated with two spirit people. So caregivers, the knowledge keepers, the the ceremonial leaders, people who tend to and prepare people for the afterlife. I mean, a whole slew of roles. As two spirit people were telling me when I was interviewing them for the book, people just continued to do that. And there was this sort of quiet recognition that they were performing roles traditionally associated with two-spirit people.
0: Your book starts with the earliest Spanish invasions of North America, noting attempts by colonial authors to erase two-spirit people from written history.
1: So there's a lot of euphemism that exists in colonial archives. So you're gonna see terms like uh, sodomites, hermaphrodites, Burdash, then there's a slew of others that are used by European authors to describe people that they perceive as what we would understand today as homosexual, or men who are dressed in women's attire, quote unquote I'm putting these terms in quotation marks because they're they're contested and they're constructed culturally, but women who wear men's clothes and take on men's roles. This really confused Europeans. Europeans didn't come from a culture where this was necessarily acceptable. It's not clear to me from the sources that Europeans really understood what they were seeing and hearing generally within native communities. And so I think we have to be very critical in the way that we approach the ethnographic descriptions that Europeans left in their journals in their official correspondence and and other documents that we use to recreate history.
0: You quoted an elder who said, it's exhausting to have to constantly educate white people. With that in mind, how do two-spirit people you spoke with view themselves within queer communities?
1: Prejudice was was layered throughout um, gay and lesbian communities as much as it was layered throughout the broader American society. It's exhausting for people, I think, because there's this constant need to justify and rationalize their existence, to explain themselves in a way that a white gay male or lesbian does not necessarily have to anymore. You know, it can be exhausting, but the thing about it is, is that, and this is what Two Spirit Elders told me in researching the book, is that they're really encouraged by the next generation of activists and social workers and academics and writers and just people who are creative across a whole spectrum of of skill sets.
2: That was VCU's Gregory Smithers speaking with Alex Scribner from VPM News about culture and sexuality in Native American communities. Some of these stories were produced with assistance from the Public Media Journalists Association Editor Corps, funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This has been the VPM Daily Newscast.